All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? How are you? I'm back from Boston. It was a good trip. It was good, man. There was some closure there. It was good. I'll talk about it in a second. So today, I have a, a, a pretty great conversation with John Wilson. He's a, a documentary filmmaker and the creator of How To with John Wilson. Um, I watched all of the seasons. I didn't know what I would think, but I grew to really appreciate his approach. And he's a he's an actual real artist, this guy. And as the seasons went on, uh, there are three of them. It got deeper and darker. And I don't think there's been anybody in recent memory that really captures New York uh, as authentically as John Wilson. I will say that. Um, Look, I'm in Denver, Colorado at the Comedy Works South for four shows, November 17th and 18th. A couple of those are sold out. The late ones, there's still tickets. I would come. Los Angeles, I'm at Dynasty Typewriter on December 1st, 13th, and 28th. The Elysian on December 6th, 15th, and 22nd. And Largo on December 12th and January 9th. Then my 2024 tour gets started in San Diego at the Observatory North Park on Saturday, January 27th. San Francisco, Castro Theater on Saturday, February 3rd. Portland, Maine at the State Theater on Thursday, March 7th. Medford, Massachusetts, right outside of Boston at the Chevalier Theater on Friday, March 8th. Providence, Rhode Island at the Strand, March 9th. Terrytown, New York at the Terrytown Music Hall on Sunday, March 10th. You can go to WTFpod.com slash tour for tickets. And they're they're happening. I mean, we did the pre-sale, a lot of pre-sales. Exciting, because they, they feel like they're far down the line, but maybe they're not. Maybe that's me. Maybe that's me, man. Boston, Massachusetts, as you know, if you've had any experience with New England, the fall is truly the best time to be in Boston, Massachusetts. I mean, just flying into Logan and seeing all those, like just the trees below you know like in full red orange yellows it's just to me it's like immediately disarming and 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 immediately meditative i don't even i don't even know how to explain it but nothing really transports me to another kind of uh mental emotional zone like crisp air clouds and and then when you get on the ground that old architecture and the strange kind of like spoke like city layout of boston which i guess is because it was done for wagons or or not for cars or horse trails. I don't remember. I don't know the history, but you have Boston and then you have all these spokes that are highways and streets out of Boston. And and it's it's it was always a pain in the ass to drive there because like several highways go the same direction, but at slightly different angles. So you don't know you're not heading the west you want to head until you're like in another city. Or another town. You're like, how did we get to fucking, you know, here when we we're trying, we're just going west. That's because there's five different wests. But that's kind of like choices in life, you know? In a way, it's I'm, I'm using a metaphor, but because Boston was where, you know, I, I mean, so many of the choices I made, you know, were dictated by that city on some level. And, and, and it's kind of strange to go back. I mean, I learned how to think there intellectually, kind of. I learned how to have sex be on my own. I learned how to fall in love. I learned how to write, freak out, understand art, fail, fail at sex, bullshit, write poetry. I learned how to dress kind of, though that's still evolving, do drugs and drink. I learned how to do comedy as a job 
in that city. And it's just a, f- a few things. And there's memories attached to all of that. I mean, it's a defining city for me, but I rarely go back just for fun. You know, I, I don't know why that is. And I was trying to think about it, but I guess it feels like a place of, you know, kind of profound transition for me, you know, because because it was. It also feels like a source of of a full spectrum of early embarrassments and failures and and mild to profound traumas. I mean, on some level, you know, why would I want to go back? But, you know, I went back and I'm I, I'm always excited to go back because you kind of wait for closure. And I think it kind of happened this time because this time was, was a little different. I mean, I think if you get old enough, uh, it's just a matter of time before the memories, you know, of whatever kind of fade or shift. And if you don't kind of revisit them over and over again, uh, for whatever reason, usually to use as a hammer on yourself, if you don't, if you don't, if you don't revisit them and give them life, they kind of lose their juice. You know what I mean? I mean, I can still juice them up, but it's like, it's like finding an old outdated piece of equipment that uh, still works when you plug it in. You're curious. You're like, I wonder if this will work. And you're amazed if it does, but uh, you know, what difference does it really make? You can't use it and it might blow up, but it's nice to have on the shelf. You know what I mean? It's nice to keep all those memories on the shelf, pull them down and hope they don't explode when you plug them in. But my old, my old friend Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Loftus, happened to be in the country, uh, which he's rarely, uh, he's out doing the things he does. He was in a nearby state. He was up in New Hampshire. So he came down to hang out with me. And this is a guy that I went to freshman year of college with. I've talked about him before. I love this guy. We've been friends. I guess like it's fucking, I don't, I mean, I, I don't, it's crazy. But, you know, we spent the whole day, you know, just kind of walking around Boston and Cambridge just for hours, just, just talking like a couple of people that have known each other like 40 years, 40 fucking years. Is that crazy? It was, it was a very nice, very reflective day, but also, you know, nice to be alive and be the people we are now and just kind of to get into it, you know? I mean, I, that's usually what I do with my oldest friends, actually, you know, when I haven't seen them in, in maybe years. You just take a whole day, you know, and just walk around, you eat, you have coffee, you sit, you talk, you kind of let it unfold, have some silences, and I, I just, I find that, and, I, and I'm pretty consistent with this. I do it with, with Lipside. I do it with Bulware. I do it with um, John Daniel recently. It's just, that's the way to do it. It's the best way to reground yourself in a friendship that has lasted, you know, sometimes for decades. It's just take the day, get off the phone, take a walk with no plans, and, uh, you know, have something to eat, have some coffee, walk some more. All right, so here's what happens. So I get there, and I told you about it. I was doing the Cam Neely benefit. This is the Comics Come Home benefit. I've done it a few times before in the past. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's always interesting to go back to Boston. You know, it was, it was a great lineup, uh, but it brings me right back to my roots. It, to, in some ways, there's – the basic roots are just, you know, filthy, risky – raw Boston comedy, you know? I mean, I've done three or four of these, and I remember what it was like to start there. You know, this is like the 27th one they had. Dennis Leary hosts it. It was me, Bill Burr, Robert Kelly, Tammy Pescatelli, Orlando Baxter, Alex Edelman, Rachel Feinstein, Lenny Clack, Lenny Clack, and uh, Pete Davidson. 
it was at the garden. I, I don't know what they call it now. The Boston, the old Boston garden packed 13,000 people. Now for me, you know, I was excited. I was going to play with the band. I rehearsed, they rented me a guitar and an amp and we, you know, we rehearsed it. And then, you know, Dennis tells me the lineup and I'm like, oh man, Bobby Kelly, then me and then Burr. And I'm looking at the schedule. I'm like, why do I got to follow Bobby Kelly? Look, I love Bobby Kelly. I love his comedy, but he's a filthy fuck. And he's a filthy fuck. And I was like, God damn it. But I'm not going to be a prima donna. I'm not a prima donna. I'm a professional. But why do I got to follow him? And I said to Burr, I'm like, why don't, why don't you just, why does he, why don't I just go before him? And Burr's like, uh-uh. <laughs> you got the spot. I don't think he had anything to do with it, but I got to be the buffer between Bobby and Bert. Now, look, you know, I can handle myself. I'm a pro, but I just knew. I'm like, what are you going to do, Bobby? What are you going to do? He goes, I don't know. I might tank. And I'm like, I don't think so. I've been, I've been in this position before. I've seen you before. And if I, can, if I don't even know how to explain it, but, you know, <laughs> it was... And here's the weird thing. It was, it, it might've triggered something from many years ago, many years ago when I was just starting out in Boston, I, I got my first guest spot at Nick's comedy stop. And that's where you do 10 minutes on a show, a regular show, pro show. And I went on after Leary. This is uh, early Leary when it was just, I mean, I, you know, I don't remember if you remember, it was just an assault of high speed ranting and whether he did well or not, it didn't matter. So I remember I got up there and I tried to just jump on his energy failed and I bombed I bombed so badly that I remember it to this day well. It's one of those it's one of those old machines that I can plug in and it might blow up. But I I didn't let it blow up because when I saw I was on the list after Bobby I'm like, "Dude, all right, this is your this is your shot at closure. This is it. You just fucking go up there, suck it up and do your fucking job, you baby." And fucking Bobby got up there I'm just watching him in the wings and he just, he just crushes with this like fast paced lyrical barrage of Rabelaisian filth. And it just, <laughs> you know, it just involved uh, fucking at his age in a small house and his wife's vagina was dying and they didn't have lube and there was coconut oil involved and gagging and fingers. I mean, it was pure Bobby Kelly. And I knew it. I knew it. And it's just, it is blowing the place apart. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, oh my God. And I'm just like prepping for tankage, just prepping for the big shit eating fucking festival I'm going to have. But then like, it, I didn't let it blow up. You know, I, I just didn't, I didn't let it blow up. You know, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, you know, just a blustering bunch of hilarious filth, but I was able to do what I do. And I got some quality laughs. And then I played with the band on the asshole song. And it was, uh, it was pretty fucking fun, but all in all, it was a great trip to Boston. And, uh, it was great to, to do the benefit to help that cause. So John Wilson, I think the, the funniest thing about John Wilson is that, Right around the time he was supposed to show up at my house, I kind of wandered outside and you know, I thought I heard a car stop and I walk out into my street and I just see there's a, a car that had driven him here with the driver. And then I just see him wandering off away from my house with his camera. <laughs> and I'm like, of course he is. It's a guy who lives through his camera. 
he was uh, he was shooting the uh, Halloween decorations across the street. And I'm like, you done? You want to you want to talk, or you you want to get some more uh, get some more uh, footage? So I enjoyed this talk a lot because I don't think he talks a lot, generally speaking, to other people, perhaps publicly or at all. I don't know, but uh, but it, you know, it was engaged and good and interesting. Uh, he's made three seasons of How to with John Wilson for HBO, and this is uh, me uh, me and John uh, hashing it out. Doing a lot of talking today. Yeah, I'm gonna. Right after this, I think I'm gonna go. I think pitch a new show, and then right after that, I'm going on Kimmel. Kimmel today? Yeah. <laughs> That'll be fun. He's all right. I I have a little costume that I had someone make. Oh yeah. Uh, for for Halloween, but um, I haven't tried it on yet. It might be. It might be. What? I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully they let me wear it. Oh yeah, what is it? Uh, it's it's just a uh, it's just a toilet, um, but there's there's some interactive elements to it. You're gonna dress as a toilet? Yeah, um, hmm. you know for Halloween because the in reference to the show where the uh, the the shit spewing toilet. Yeah, it's it's kind of a you know it's it's um, trying to raise awareness. Yeah, I guess about of, the. Uh, Lack of public restrooms. Well, in the new season, you you discussed that video from your show, and it was some oh, sort yeah. of right. It, and it was like uh, you know, it was an act of conscience mm-hmm. uh, that you admitted that when you used the video for the last season. Um, I, I forget. I think it was the second season. Right. The second season. That, that I used to. But it was based on a video you saw that you were mad that you didn't actually witness. Yeah. So you, like, I like you guys to get these HBO deals and then you find you have enough money (laughs) (laughs) to, to like, like, yeah, I guess in the second season you had enough money to reconstruct or build a bathroom that was like the one on the video you saw of the sewage back up through the sink and the toilet, and you recreated it entirely in the studio. Yeah, but the, it's, there was something that still felt a little off about it. I, was, I wasn't sure what it was. What, you mean your recreation? Yeah, the recreation of the bathroom. I, Other than you were trying to sell it as, a, as something real? Yeah, the, it was just kind of like... The the quality of the sewage. Yeah, the quality of the sewage, and also I think the the way it was coming out did yeah. not seem authentic. E- even though the real video was was just as cartoony, but there's just something that's just a little off. He believed it. Yeah, that that it's I don't know. It, people did ask me if it was real, which made me feel like I I had screwed up somehow. So, I but you knew you were doing it at the time. Yeah. Well, you know, it was for a tax credit. I mean, in in the first season of the show, Nathan and I built this entire Nathan Fielder. Yeah. Um, we during the pilot, we were trying to figure out what the show even was. Yeah. And we built a full fake subway set, and had this kind of this small talk situation happening there. Yeah. With a hostage negotiator and. Um, someone else, yeah. and you know, so it was like a big 
kind of budget thing, and we shot the whole thing and ended up just not using it. So you didn't use it at all. Uh, no, not a, because not a, of the integrity issue. Um, it just didn't feel like the right uh, kind of thing for the show. It, it it didn't feel like I was the kind of person that constructed um, situations like that. Yeah, I I, I, I like the more grounded, you know. It's just stuff that you see naturally on in the reality. Yeah, that would that that was always the richest material to me. So that, that sounds like more of a fielder thing. Yeah, I, I think we were trying to figure out how much was fielder and how much was 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 me in and the first season. Yeah, yeah. Well, because we we just didn't really know what the show was and how that relationship began. Um, well, I, I was I was a big fan of Nathan for you as, as it came out. You know, I, I would watch it uh, regularly and. And um, then one night, my friend Clark was at a gallery opening and saw Nathan there and uh, introduced himself. And it turns out Nathan had seen this one movie that I did. And then Clark texted me. And then I immediately came out uh, just to say hi. You were at home in your apartment? Yeah, I was watching Jeopardy at home. Yeah. And which movie had he seen? Uh, It was called... It was a movie I can never release called Los Angeles Plays New York. And it's, I basically wore a bunch of hidden cameras um, and, and to get onto, and, and got onto a court TV show. Yeah. And, and as a, uh, the guy who had been wronged. Yeah. And yeah, I was. I, the plaintiff? Yeah. The, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, someone owed me a thousand dollars. So I tried to get the real person to come on court TV, but he refused. So I basically just faked it with my friend. Oh. Yeah. And so you, you, you played the court. We played the court, but I, I was genuinely in a, in a place where I did need a thousand dollars. Um, you know, and, and I, I, and that's what's, what was great about the court TV thing is that they not only pay you, but the, uh, defendant doesn't have to actually pay you. The court pays you. Well, that's um, part of the uh, that, that's the appeal of the fake court. Yeah, so so that's how they get def- like defendants on to begin oh. with is, is that they 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 say like you've already won basically because even if you lose you don't have to pay what this oh, person is suing you for. So they're looking for relatively small claims problems. Yeah, and and if it wins in court, they can't really enforce the payment even even if you make your case. And the guy was there, and he admitted to it. They, that court can't make him pay. Yeah, right. so, like, but you will get paid. Yeah, you 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 will get paid, and you'll both get appearance fees. So was the the reason you can't show it because of court TV licensing? Yeah, both court TV licensing and um, the person that I initially was trying to sue. Yeah. Um, he also uh, sent a cease and desist letter to me the one time I tried to show it. Was this a friend of yours? No, no. This was some person from Los Angeles. Uh, that you just borrowed a thousand dollars from? Or <laughs> sorry, I, or this, he, the story's a little muddled here. But oh, I yeah, I, I, I was, or he borrowed a thousand. I was hi- I was hired to make a a fashion film. Oh, okay. From some guy in Los Angeles who was visiting New York, and I made it, and he yeah. re- he refused to pay me. And I tried to sue him, but he didn't reply. So I fabricated the entire thing oh. to, just to get my money back in a roundabout way. 
but but do you think in terms of like no matter what like you, you know I like the show and I, I watched all three seasons and there's a few things I noticed but in talking to you about this right now is there are you always thinking in terms of whether it will be documentable um, no matter what like I mean it, I, it seems at this point because of the nature of how you do documentary that mm-hmm. almost anything that happens in your life from you know waking up to making coffee. Uh, you you seem to be thinking like should I be filming this? Yeah, it, it's it's something I think about all the time. I mean, I, I do have an off switch, but I I um I feel like it's it's the one thing that's always given me purpose. Um, to have the document. Yeah, you know, I I I, I feel like certain subjects are. Um, I mean, when I, when I started making the show, I took my normal process and yeah. just kind of put it on steroids. So I, I was really filming, you know, every egg I made or sausage I, I grilled, you know. You mean, oh, after you started the show? Yeah. But, but before that, your process, other than the, the court TV thing, I mean, what were you putting together previous? I would film casually, just kind of oddities on the streets of New York, as as sort of uh, you know a, a real document, almost like a, uh, like a still photographer in the '30s or '20s, yeah. like a Jacob Rice or somebody that you were showing the the uh, the the sort of tone of the city. Yeah, yeah, a lot of there's a, yeah, there's a lot of like all kind of old street photographers that yeah. are like major inspirations and and like Ouija. I, yeah, yeah, Ouija and um uh Robert Frank. Yeah, Robert Frank yeah. and um you know kind of Gary Winogrand. Yeah. And I I kind of I I, ne- I, feel, I feel like I never saw anyone do it in motion and put it all together into something cohesive that felt like a self-contained piece that could kind of travel like, because I wondered that in in because like the one thing I noticed uh, when I first started watching the show was that um, that it, it was very honestly representative. Uh, you, you sort of are um, preoccupied with the the slightly grotesque nature of humanity and and its detritus or detritus, right? So yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You, you do like uh, dead animals, you know, fluids, gunk, <laughs> unidentified gunk, uh, you know, people who, you know, are just uh, can't help but be slightly uh, grotesque. Yeah. But but I was wondering yesterday or a couple of days ago when I was watching some of the new season that so so do you have an act? It sounds like you have an active archive of of moments. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a, a really just colossal archive of, of material that, you know, makes it makes it easy to cut a lot of this stuff together because whenever you need a transitional moment or you need you right. know, like you, you can you can build a poem out of out of anything. So you think in terms of, of poetry? Yeah, yeah. And but you know, very kind of basic uh poetry, you know, it's like well, I mean, it's visual poetry. It's it's uh, poetry that evolves out of montage. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's like I I I try to keep it very kind of basic, and you know, have like a very basic rhyme scheme with with some of it, so that it like 
it you know it 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 feels a little childish but you know even if there's something kind of a dark truth within it right but it does seem like you know to match lighting consistency you're pretty pretty good with that are you aware of do you have it subcategorized in terms of overcast or night interesting um yeah, there's there there is a, a kind of a, a sequence of 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 dusk and nighttime, yeah. but I, I I usually only shoot. I mean, as a rule, I only shoot with natural light. Um, right. So I it makes it a little easy because like I can usually stop filming whenever the sun sets. Oh right. So most um, of it's daytime. Really. Yeah. Like yeah, most of it just and and that's how I keep it consistent. But then every now and then I'll just be out at night randomly and. I'll get some stuff, but yeah, I, I I just try to keep the process as simple as I possibly can. You know, it's like I mean, I see you have this the Gimme Shelter poster here. Yeah. It's like the the Maisels were just such a huge inspiration early on because, you know, you look at something like Salesman, yeah, and it's like all they were waiting for was a camera that could do sync sound. Yeah. You know, and that, and then, and then look at what they did with it. Yeah, and like, do we did we really need to evolve past that point? You know, right? Like with even with stuff just like a a some like a brace to to keep the camera on you. Like I don't, I, I try not to use any of that stuff. Steady cam. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I saw you out in front of my house filming <laughs> the. Uh, you know, I, I, I knew uh, right away. I mean, I, I was just walking out to see if you were here yet, and I heard the door shut. And then I kind of saw you through my uh, hedge there, you know, wandering. And, and I thought, like, well, how is he missing the address? And I realized, like, <laughs> oh, he's got to be filming. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there were, there were some nice Halloween decorations. Across, yeah, that guy goes crazy. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, so I, 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 I try, you know, with something like that, you know, I'll try to just shoot, shoot it in a way that could maybe be used in a non-Halloween context. And what what are you shooting on? Is that what you shoot on all the time? Uh, no, this is just what I'm shooting on kind of right now in the off-season because... What is it? It's uh, it's just like a Sony like DV camera. Yeah. It's like a DCR PC9. Newer one? No, it's from the early 2000s. It looks old, yeah. 90s. With and the little it, screen that pops off to the side? Yeah, it's great. It's got a great zoom. It's got night vision. And yeah. it's, you know, I, I, I can't use it for like like uh, something like how-to, but that's just my kind of home video camera. So it's it's just for me. Right. So what, so so this thing, this, this living in this, uh, moving through life in this mediated way. <laughs> um, <laughs> when did that start? Um, pretty early, you know, I think when I was maybe 14, 13. family had a Betamax kind of deal or it, it was, it was a high eight camera. Okay. I, I think, uh, yeah, I think our first one was a high eight camera and I would just, it just became, you know, it just this accessory that I had with me all the time. And I, I just like was inseparable from it. I, I remember even... I, I got held up for it by, at gunpoint when I was in uh, Long Island growing up. Um, what town? In Rocky Point. Yeah. Uh, it's on the North Shore. Did you give up the camera? No. The <laughs> the guy, I, I was walking through a parking lot going to Radio Shack to get a new battery for the camera, and this car just comes, drives right up next to me, 
um, and opens the door, and the guy has a like a gun, yeah. and he's pointing it at me. Yeah, and he's like, "Give me the bag." And to me, I was like uh, thinking in the moment, like, "There's no way I can give this to him. All of my movies are on this tape. I can't. <laughs> I can't get like. Yeah. It, then all the they'll all be gone. And yeah." I, so, and just, just, so I just said no, and then he's like, give me the bag, and he starts to get out of the car, and I just start walking, Yeah. and I, <laughs> and then he gets back in and drives away, <laughs> and then I go to Radio Shack, and I'm, I, 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 I'm like speechless, I can't talk, I can't tell them what I want, and then I don't really tell anybody what happened for a couple of days, and then I finally tell my parents, Yeah. and they, um, they call the police, and it turns out that they had just, those guys had just robbed a gas station. And I don't know why they wanted my camera. Did your parents tell you, why didn't you give it to them? Well, yeah. But yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> to me, the, the movies were the most important things in the world. And I didn't, I just like. So it, it wasn't even a it, courageous thing. It was just uh, practical. Yeah. It, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. You saved all those movies. Thank God. Uh, yeah. But, and the, those tapes are probably corrupt now or something. You haven't looked at them? And you oddly weren't filming the event. No, yeah, I, th- I think that would that would be a, like a little too threatening on my part to be filming the man with the gun. It's not anymore. It seems like what <laughs> everyone does. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's it to the point where they don't step in. Like all these, all this footage of people of these guys who just you know jump out of a truck and raid parked cars at the beach and stuff. Oh, those are crazy. I and somebody's I shooting them. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, it happens all the time. Like, if people, like, down in, in uh, like, Malibu or somewhere park to go walk out to the beach, these these trucks just come upon the where the cars are parked, break the window, take everything out in seconds, and oh. split. But there's enough footage of it to make you wonder, like, did anyone make a call? Did the plate get taken? Like, I mean, yeah, what's happening? Rap. It's a tough choice. Have you had to make that choice where you're like, well, obviously you edit, but there's obviously stuff that, you know, you capture where you're like, should I help this person? Yeah. I don't know. There are those, it's, it's never something that drastic. It's, it's, you know, if, if someone is in like clearly in distress, I, I try not to. To film, I mean, there has to be something kind of comedic or poetic about whatever's happening, and if it's just, if it's just kind of brutality, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I try to. You don't like, encourage that. You're yeah. not looking for that. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's why it's like it's it, it's very easy to kind of to get this wrong, and how so? I I, I the I just I've just seen a few people try to kind of imitate the show yeah. in in their own way yeah. lightly and it um yeah so sometimes the joke is is kind of mocking right. whoever's on screen rather than like kind of the, having an uh, uh empathetic lens yeah as th- opposed to letting someone hang themselves yeah i to me the the, the joke I, I usually want to be on myself you know if, if if i'm if i'm if i'm filming someone um clip their toenails in public yeah and i i kind of want to 
I want to make it seem like that's something that I or we have all also done in a way. Well, in that episode, it was about ears, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and then, well, it was sort of a montage of, of people self-grooming to one extreme or another. But the, ultimately, <laughs> the quest was, you, you know, if, it, if you can't use a Q-tip, you know, what do you do? And then, you know, it does become about you and you kind of, you know, offer up the, uh, the footage of the camera attached to <laughs> the, 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 whatever the tool was to remove the wad of wax in your head. Yeah. Uh, so you're not sitting there going, you know, that guy was clipping his nails on the street. What an idiot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's, there's just like a very, there's a delicate equation that that goes into kind of every shot and line combination but early on you know when you were shooting as a kid you're just making silly movies i mean you sort of capture that a few times within the series yeah and and there was there was a lot of experimentation and like a lot of really really bad stuff that i i, I hope nobody ever encounters do you have brothers and sisters you have a brother right uh yeah i have a, I have, I have a younger brother um tom and he is an amazing photographer. He shot a lot of the uh, behind-the-scenes photos on the um, past couple seasons. Did you grow up in that? I mean, like, what was why? Why both these sort of lens guys? Um, I think that he he came into it a little bit later, but kind of outpaced me in 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 that department. And how so? He's just. He's a working photographer? He is an earth science teacher at a school like yeah. a, you know, in, in Brooklyn. And, but so, so he's, he's extremely scientific. He, mm. is a, he is a competitive marathon runner. Um, he is like so much more detail-oriented and I think smarter than me in so many ways. But I think one thing we share and really bond on is, is image-making uh, and what, what, where did this come into your life as a kid? I mean, like, what do your parents do? Um, my dad was kind of a systems analyst, uh, mm. kind of worked in kind of computers for MetLife. Yeah. My mom was a teacher. She taught at my high school growing up. She taught a couple different things. Um, yeah. But she was a school administrator for a while. Huh. So, yeah, not, it, it wasn't a... But also, my dad would spend a lot of time bringing us to different museums growing up, and like, yeah, you know, we would always make these field trips to PS One in Queens growing up. Oh yeah, and that was just a really cool, eye-opening experience. Do you remember like what photographers you were exposed to? Um, it wasn't photography that I was really exposed to there. It was it was more just like strange avant-garde art and like you know I, I would it was just like a playground for me I remember this is one exhibit I'll never forget where you know you walk into a room and there's a bunch of mousetraps on the floor and you th and there's a, a bowl of ping pong balls at the front yeah and the ceiling is covered in glue traps and you just throw ping pong balls into the <laughs> into the room and yeah. the traps go up and they get stuck and they fall down and it's like it's chaos and um Amazing. I just, I, I love stuff like that. Because I remember, you know, like I, I like as a, a photography head, when I was in high school, I shot. And then when I got to college, 
it, it became too complicated. I realized that there was mm. no way I was going to wrap my brain around the chemicals and the papers mm. and the film speeds to, to sort of really master it. So I bailed. And then I, I studied it as an art in, you know, it was my minor. Like I did a year-long survey in the history of photography. Oh, really? Yeah. That start, the guy started the first semester at cave painting. And the first semester was cave painting through the introduction of photography. So he laid the groundwork. Oh, wow. In terms of, you know, image, representation, mediated uh, experience, you know, uh, you know, all the way through, like, the Dutch and the camera obscura and kind of really defined. The idea was to, to, to ground photography as an art form, which was sort of a challenge uh, in general once everyone could take a picture. Yeah, yeah, right. So you had the sort of documentary school and the art photography school. Those were the two, right, existing ways of assessing photography as art yeah yeah and yeah it's yeah it's still debatable what kind of venue it sh should exist in yeah right um and you know where it's taken seriously but and i just watched that in that doc on um nan golden oh yeah yeah her stuff is great it's great um i didn't realize the menace and risk of it until i watched the doc on her yeah all of the street photography stuff was just it, it, it was just so it was just like oh okay this is it like you know you all the like w like when I first started making documentary stuff I didn't have any money yeah so it's like oh this is the one thing you can do where it looks the way it should even if you don't have any money and you know and 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 so you, you don't need to hire production staff or whatever yeah you're, you're, you're just like solo operator yeah and, and that's that's and, and not only is can you can you can you pull it off but that's probably the way that it should look yeah and and, and so it, it just like the this i i tried to figure out what this whatever the simplest way to do to do anything was because that you know that usually yielded the the, the content with the most life did you get into that Brisson stuff? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I was a huge Brisson head. Yeah, and um, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. I mean, I I I I read his his book a handful of times. Yeah, I kind of notes on the cinematographer, and uh, yeah, that was a huge inspiration. You know, I just always loved the way he talked about um, kind of capturing kind of. The re, moment, the moment, and 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 very subtle gestures. Yeah, you know, and and the and 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 how powerful the like just the the speed at which you turn a doorknob um, can, can like what kind of effect that can have. Yeah, uh, on the viewer, and also like what it means for the character. And and I, I think about that a lot when I'm filming like little hand gestures of people waiting on the subway, you know, just nervous ticks and stuff right. like that. Right. That that is a very Bressani um kind of lens. Right. So all this stuff it was able to well what's interesting is that you know outside of devices or or what you start to put together as a story that you know the images themselves even if they only last a few seconds are kind of infused with a point of view that you know, is informed by all this stuff, and it's yours. Yeah, but it, you know, it, it's it's also just this Frankenstein of of all, you know all of these 
great artists, I think, that I, I try to emulate that I'm ripping off in a way. I don't think, <laughs> well, yeah, I don't, it's like, that's one of those things where it's like, with your particular, you know, uh, medium, I mean, I mean, it, 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 in terms of the shots themselves, it, it becomes very difficult to say, like, well, he stole that, you know, unless, you know, you're you're stealing poses or something. I mean, like, it's just mm -hmm. an evolution. It's a, it's sure, a, sure. it's a, if it's an inform, you've informed yourself or, or integrated stuff. You know, you're not painting the same thing. Yeah. I wasn't sure. Yeah. Cause like, the, or you doing know, the same three notes. Well, yeah. Cause like the essay film has, has been around forever, you know, just the idea of this, someone kind of narrating and as you're, you know, it's like, even as far back as just like early newsreel stuff that's just like right the dominant kind of way yeah. a lot of stories were told but, right but i feel like the essay film was always kind of somewhere within like on on the fringe somewhere uh -huh. uh, like a, a, as like a whether it be a memoir or a personal essay or something like that and i, I kind of wanted to see if it could be elevated um, well it seems like what was it uh ross McElwee? yeah yeah he kind of Put it on the map in a way. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, with and like Sherman's so many people March. are familiar with that with that movie and. Right. Well, I mean, it seems like they're like when I talk to documentarians, like you know, I had made the mistake. I somehow got into my head that documentarians are journalists, which they're not necessarily. I think there is this idea when you just passively engage with a documentary that you're you're watching an investigation of some kind, but it it does not. It's not unbiased. Yeah. Whether it's a personal story or whether it's an ideological point of view. Yeah. You know, you're not there like the who, what, when, and where objectively, necessarily. Yeah. I guess the newsreels were sort of an attempt at that. Yeah, yeah. They, and yeah, that's like, um, you know, a, kind of a folksy uh, version of it. Yeah. But but it's, yeah, and, and that, that's what I love playing with so much within documentaries. You know, I've, I've, I've seen so many and I've just, I feel like I've attended so many Q&As of, of like documentarians trying to explain their work um, and and dancing around the obvious. Which is that, about them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that uh, I don't know. I mean, it's different with every project, yeah. but I, I, I just like to be really front and center about how I am like an active participant, you know, and, and, and I am like fundamentally changing this environment by being in the center of it you know right and, well that's sort of like you know the gonzo journalism thing too right yeah it, it was a shift probably in the what late 60s or something yeah and that's also yeah like that stuff is 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 all my favorite like you know like my favorite books is is um thy neighbor's wife by that guy guy talese yeah yeah and and it's like i'm constantly talking about this book but you know, I just, I love that, you know, in like the third act of the book or whatever, he just ends up at this polyamorous community and he's talking about his experience there and, right. like, and how it's kind of destroying his marriage in a way. And, yeah. And, uh, you know. So it got away from him. Yeah. And, and <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, and, or like, you know, I, I was a huge Hunter Thompson right. fan and like Hell's Angels was just such a, like kind of, kind of a. A, a big work for me. Oh, that's interesting because that's early, yeah, and that's before he became sort of the 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 kind of like uh, drugged out clown genius. But he was still 
kind of in, <laughs> infusing himself, in, <laughs> yeah, getting yeah. really trashed and driving, yeah. riding around in Harleys, and yeah, stuff. right, <laughs> right. But like, but he hadn't honed it into his thing yet. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. the first book, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. I think I think yeah. it's pretty. I I I don't know the chronology of anything. Yeah, yeah. No, because the fearing fear and loathing stuff that became like sort of like this is my thing. Mm. I am the story. Yeah, and and there's I I, I like how. Like in in work like that, you, you you do embellish and and I and and that's why I kind of wanted to, like, uh, you know, talk about the exploding fabricating and exploding restroom just because, like that that was a bit of a telltale heart for me. Where, yeah, where I was just <laughs> kind of living with this guilt of, of 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 having fabricated something uh, when I I I do take. The kind of purity of shooting. Uh, of shooting, like very yeah. seriously, a lot of the time, and and I, like go to great lengths to yeah. make sure that what you're seeing is real. But at the, uh, but when you decided to fabricate the toilet, <laughs> um, did you know that you would later explain it? I mean, was it a, a, a deep? No, you you just said like fuck it. Yeah, but just because. I, I I wanted to. Who's gonna know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could. Yeah, I could, I could have. I could have spent the rest of my career um, hiding that or anything else. It's and, just like Dostoevsky, you know, just like uh, <laughs> Raskolnikov, sweating and festering over the fact that he's getting away with murder. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Same thing. <laughs> and <laughs> I. Yeah, and, and I, I I wanted to kind of. I, I I thought it would just be like a courtesy to 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 level with the audience and 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 also just kind of acknowledge the fact that there are there are these kind of fabrications in in all documentary right work. and the way you did that was created a massive fabrication yeah spent yeah. more of HBO's money yeah and not unlike John Oliver you know went ahead and got explosives involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was always a dream to to blow up a car ever since I was a kid. When did the the element cuz you know, I had years ago I had this concept for a show that that it was right when the internet started that I could never really put down on paper because I I didn't have like a a way or a method of doing it which was this idea that you know, you search for something in, in the early internet and then it takes you a series of places and the story, you know, whatever you were searching for initially, you know, gets, um, gets diverted by the results of the search. Mm-hmm. And then you just kind of follow along with your impulses until wherever you started, you know, you end up somewhere else. Yeah. Totally through random amount of searching. I could never really structure the idea, but it seems like it's, it's sort of like, how you you do it, but but it can't be that impulsive. Um, parts of it are. I I, I kind of I, I like to I, I like the work to be as close to like a neural imprint yeah. as I can. You know, if that's if that's the the word. But what comes first? I mean, like in terms of like you have all this footage, but then you you decide like you know when you start something as seemingly mundane as how to clean your ears, mm. and then like um, um, I don't remember where that episode ended up uh, with uh, a bunch of electrosensitive people. 
Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that word. That, so, yeah. so how like how does it get from how do you clean your ears to that? Well, I I usually I always just start with a title, and I I I don't know why, but that 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 is the thing that I carry with me, and and it usually excites me the most, and then I will. Okay, start with how to clean your ears. Yeah. And then, I mean, yeah, I mean, and then when we're in the writer's room, I be- we begin to, like, before we should really shoot much of anything, um, we'll think, like, okay, so let's, I wonder what would happen if I did clean my ears, and I probably will hear things better. Yeah. And then what can we do with that? Like, how can we turn this into a, un- a universal, like, kind of, story that yeah. that is a portrait of like a very specific or you know like a problem in new york like noise yeah so so i i think i think we have we we, we go about that far yeah with with, with some episodes yeah and and then we just try to do the the kind of pbs version of it where we just talk to people who have noise problems right. or noisy neighbors and then as we're talking to all these people we just kind of try to take the first exit we can or take multiple exits and just follow them as far yeah. as we can. And and that usually brings us somewhere strange. And and how big is the writer room? Um this past writer's room was mostly just me and Michael Coleman and then Ali Vidi came in for one episode. But um yeah the second season was four people four five i forget it was like yeah me and susan and connor and, and then, Michael. so so once you get these ideas of going from you know cleaning your ears to noise mm-hmm. because like it seems to me that you land on you, you know truly authentic and usually slightly uh you know compromised characters somehow mm-hmm. uh that that kind of you know fill out the humanity of of each episode, um, and in how much of trial and error is there in, in there? That how much footage is there of people that you can't fit in, and and you know how many, and how do you sort of figure that out? How to do the shoots? There's there's a lot of disappointment and frustration. I'm usually an emotional wreck during the writing, especially yeah. and the and the beginning of the shooting. Because I I really don't know how any of it's going to shake down, and I'm just like constantly kind of whipping myself. It's yeah. like, is this really just about batteries, or is just really like, right. you know, like I I don't I don't know what this is. And then, but but then this, this kind of strange thing, strange thing happens, and I I don't know how to explain it. I I I I don't I don't. <laughs> I am I'm not this kind of person but yeah. there's just like this this weird synchronicity or I I don't know if it's yeah. manifestation or something but right. like just thinking about something constantly and looking everywhere for it yeah. like it will just the universe will deliver it to you in really weird ways. But what's the location scouting involved? Um is that just <laughs> you? I mean I mean you know how do you end up at that guy's trailer in that one episode or how you, you know, how do you end which, up... Which trailer? 
the guys who were, you know, well, there the there's there seems to be a couple of, of of strange living environments that you just end up in in New Jersey. Well, there's the guy with the big gun machine. Oh yeah. But there's yeah. also the guy below the waterline. Oh yeah. The, yeah. the, the, right, the weird true. sort of preppers. But you know these are you know you know these are really kind of marginal characters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I I, I really like following those kinds of people just because they're not really represented. Well, how do you find them initially? I usually okay, so I mean the 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 sound cannon guy in yeah. Jersey. I mean, so once we have the basic premise of sound yeah. and noise complaints, then you can kind of do anything. So right. we just I think one of my producers with newspaper articles yeah, just found like we we kind of we basically built a little newsroom, right? Like okay, w- so whenever yeah. we get into production, yeah, and it's just like constant. It's like oh, there's this story here, yeah. there's this story here, okay, and then th- it all gets like kind of channeled through me at a point, and I decide whether or not, and 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 or like Michael and I will decide whether or not to chase this story and if it can fit into any one of six episodes but we usually just go and film it anyway yeah and we talk with as long as it's an interesting story we just go and meet up with them and then i will cycle through six episodes worth of questions yeah um all different topics and then we'll in the edit we'll just use whatever feels funniest and usually the the farther away from the actual subject it is, the funnier right. it is a lot of the time. Yet it's connected. It, yeah, it, yeah. The, the narrative still makes yeah, sense. Yeah, you have to do this, yeah, really a lot of gymnastics to kind of, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm sorry. It's all right. Because, like, in the episode about fabrication, you know, that sort of goes, you know, you start with the Titanic, right? Yeah, I, I think because I just was talking to some guy in Montauk about at a bar, and he right, ends right. up talking about the Titanic as being a there's a that this wasn't really the Titanic. Yeah, that 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 sank that it was its sister ship. The and Olympic. then you just find this guy. Yeah, and and that was really just like I found this. There 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 were a couple of different books about this conspiracy theory. Yeah, but I just picked the one with the guy had that had the funniest name. His name is Bruce Beveridge. Yeah, and and that and and I knew nothing. I didn't know he was an ex cop. I didn't know anything. Yeah, but he just was willing to meet us and 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 talk about everything. And then, uh, he, he was just like that. That was just like a totally random find that yeah, ended was, up it, paying it, off in the biggest way. Yeah, and it, it paid off in the way that there was there's a moment there in the car where he's talking about secrets and, and fabrications in police work that got, you know, kind of heavy where, you know, he was revealing something without revealing it that he was carrying with him. Yeah. It yeah. got very close to, to him possibly getting in trouble. Yeah. And that, and that I, 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 I was, I was like, I was so shaken. Like I, I, I Cause mean, he didn't follow up that much. Yeah, but it 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 was just like like what I'm talking about with like thematically I did not think that it that was like the perfect yeah, monologue right. to tie everything up. Right. that I had been talking about up to that moment and 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 like how 
how does that happen unless you're sure. actively pursuing it somehow, like even subconsciously? Yeah, no, I, I, it's, I understand it's, it's that. It's so strange. I, I mean, I think about that a lot and how I construct stand-up in that, you know, I write on stage. So anytime something evolves or anytime something's delivered to me, you know, like I have an idea and then I just riff mm-hmm. and then out of nowhere this punchline will come and I don't know how, what to attribute that to. How do you mean the punchline will come? Like, Well, like I'll have a funny premise and I'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then like I, it, all the bits are sort of open-ended and, you know, would be my whole life if I didn't put them in specials. So like as I talk about them more and, and I add more things to them with each performance, you know, new things come. Mm-hmm. And there are certain moments that happen on stage where, where a, a bit gets finished. And I don't know where that comes from. I know that I've left the space for it, yeah. but, but what comes out of my mouth, I didn't know was going to happen. Mm. And, and, and I'm sort of like, thank God for that. And I don't know why that happens. It's yeah. not part of the logic, but that's part of the excitement of, of how I do it and why I do it the way I do it. Yeah, that's cool. But it's similar in that, you, you know, you leave the space and, you know, maybe it'll, something will come eventually, maybe it doesn't. Yeah, and that and that's what's like that's what gives all this stuff life is like, you know, I, I like so many documentaries are they're telling stories about something that already happened, you know. Yeah. So it's it's like very formula, you know. They'll have this person, that person, talking head, uh, but you know, there's there's something about the the kind of work that I want to make where you're 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 finding the story as it's happening instead of right. You know, there's a lot of anxiety involved, and I think it takes like a, a lot more effort in a different way. But I, I, I think that that like, you know, much like figuring it out on stage, it's just like that is the thing that gives it life and, and, and makes people like, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And it also gives you life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. O- otherwise I just, I would get so bored of whatever I was doing. It just would feel like such a procedure. Right. Of course. You know? Right. Well, yeah, and you can feel that all the time with with all all your shows. When did you like sort of? Was it organic that you talk about yourself in the? I guess would it be second person or? Yeah. Uh, was that just an organic thing? It, there's something interesting about it in relation mm-hmm. to how we're talking about, you know, point of view. That there that you know it assumes there is a, a voice over a narration, mm-hmm. but you're talking to you. Um, but it, it also puts it on the audience. It's it's an interesting device that that uh, kind of fucks with my head all the time. <laughs> yeah, and I think where that, you're addressing yourself is you go into the place, you do this, you want to do this, you want to do that. Yeah, it 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 pays off. I, I think in different ways, and I think it ultimately kind of bonds like me, the viewer. me with the viewer. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, and like because. If, if if I if I am saying like okay if you want to make risotto you right. have, you have to buy this you know that 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 makes sense but then I talk about when I if I say that your ex shows up and then you know and and they uh, have an old sweater of yours or something yeah. that's obviously a very extremely specific to me right but it 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 it, it does make you think about like where yeah. like what in your life has happened that's been kind of like that right that you can yeah, you know sure. so I, I i try to just let you like i i want i want the viewer to be able to see themselves in it 
as much as possible because that's the stuff that always like inspired me the most growing up. Now, is it wrong in assuming that this last season, the third season, seems like the most you know kind of you know painfully personal for some reason? I remember I don't remember what season mm-hmm. it was where you kind of explored your relationship with your um, landlady. Mm, yeah. Um, well, that kind of comes back in this last season, but you know she goes away, and it was kind of emotional. But it seemed like in in this season three that you were having some uh, you, you know existential issues yeah. throughout it, you know, around your love life, your physique, you know, <laughs> who you are in the world, yeah. uh, your bad habits, mm-hmm. and so it seems ultimately the most personal because it seems like you're going through real personal challenges that were not just, you know, uh, you know, standard emotional stuff. Yeah, it, it is, it is a real kind of way to process things for me. Yeah. This is, this is not like a, a put on in that, right. in that way. You know, I, the, the, anyone that knows me, um, like I think knows what was really going on in my life when a lot of this stuff happened or like when, when, when I filmed a lot of this stuff and I was dealing with some, um, yeah, some, some really complicated emotional stuff. That, Around what? Uh, it's some stuff that I, I may never talk about you know, oh, yeah? publicly. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you, well, you do, uh, you do sort of brush a lot of it. You, you do refer to some of it in the in the season. Uh, you yeah, know, obviously not whatever you're keeping to yourself, but I mean, there there were struggles, you know, uh, around physique, around sexuality, around compulsion. Right. Yeah. I'm. Yeah. Right. I'm already like exposing myself as <laughs> a lot. Yeah. But th- there, there is, there is even kind of a, a sub layer beneath, sure, beneath sure. that. Uh, well, yeah, well, I mean, you got to keep the uh, engine, uh, you know, fueled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, but I want to make sure that that's always a part of it somehow, just so I like, it, it feels authentic and, and, it, and it feels right. like it's it's not just a style exercise or something. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I mean that would be, it, it has to be authentic because it, it, it's not, it doesn't sound like a writer's room could generate <laughs> some of the issues. Yeah, that you were, and I feel you were, bad. Feel bad for them sometimes. Because you do. They, yeah, because it it really is, it it does act like therapy a lot of the time. Well, I mean, but that's I mean that's sort of uh, the nature of first person art. You, you, you know, like as a comic, I I know what I'm processing, mm. and I know that I'm not doing a character, mm-hmm. and I know that that on some level, you, it, I don't even know if you have. Well, that's a good question for you, but for me, like, I, I don't know what my consideration of the audience is mm. in the sense that, you know, when I'm doing this, you know, I know I'm being witnessed and I know that I'm moving through this stuff. But a lot of times I, I, I get done with the set. And I'm like, why did I even tell them that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, exactly. I, I had so many of those moments. Like a, yeah. Especially with just like the. <laughs> you know, childhood sexuality yeah. stuff, and it's just like, what? Like, who is asking for this? Like, yeah, you know, I, like I, why? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is like now I need to have all these conversations with all these people, right? And like, like what? But but it's I, I still try to behave as if I'm just making it like for my 
for myself. Right. And for, like, you know, I, I used to just make things just for my f- five roommates that I lived with for a right. while, you know? Yeah. And if it made them laugh, if it made them feel anything, and then I, I felt good. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 did you, were you able to answer that question? What? Why? Why, why am I doing it? Because like, I, I don't, I can't, I can't quite figure it out. Because after a certain point, you're at this edge of, of embarrassment. You know, like there, like I have found that in my life, you, you know, my biggest fear is, it's not even exposure, it's, it's being embarrassed. Yet mm-hmm. I, 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 I work within that area all the time. Yeah. That I'm going to offer this up. And, you, you know, I, I it, it is some sort of, I see it as some sort of like, you, you know, uh, um, preemptive <laughs> exercise. Yeah, you get ahead of it. <laughs> yeah, but no one's on your tail but you. Well, you know, they're always just right behind. No, I don't know. It's, yeah. I, I, I see what you mean. It's just an odd thing because you do have a limit, as do I, where, you you know, you believe that you're holding on to a few things and that, the you know, these little, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, views in mm-hmm. are, are limited because you're uh, affording access to whatever you're relatively comfortable with. But we, I, you sort of think like, well, no, but I've still got this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that I can't tell anybody or I don't want, you know, uh, but isn't that only a matter of time? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like when, when will like the yeah. demands of your work outpace like yeah. what, what you have in the tank? You right. Know? Or, or just <laughs> when do you become comfortable in doing that? And what are you left with? You know, what do we get out of this type of transparency? Cause everybody talks about this. Yeah. We, we live in this very sort of boundaryless. Uh, culture where anybody can sort of get at you. So I guess there is something uh, uh, intuitive about like, well, I'll get at me first. Yeah. 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 And and I think that's like where a lot of like class clown, you know, stuff originates from too, right? It's just like you, you want to, you you, want to make a joke about yourself before anyone else can. Yeah. But sometimes they fail. And like, I can remember, you know, doing things as a class clown or doing things, you know, like, you know, impulsively that I thought were funny and I'm just like an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's, you gotta test out new material. It doesn't always Sure, sure. (laughs) But I don't think I knew that when I was younger. Yeah. You you know, so, but in terms of like when you were growing up, were you, how, what kind of friends did you have and how were you seen? From, as, um, in, in your age group, like, you know, were you this nerd with a camera? Kind of. I, I think I was, I kind of was down the middle. How old are you? Uh, right now, 37. Oh, so by the time you were in high school, there was some nerd empowerment. When I, when I was mm-hmm. in high school, you're still pretty marginalized, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and I wasn't a nerd per se, but there was definitely them and us. But But it seemed like somewhere along the line that because of culture and entertainment product and, you know, and, and also fantasy mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the, those communities weren't as marginalized. Well, what was your nerd kind of, uh, kind of, well, they were still activity like, of choice. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't really of the nerds, but, but oh. they were, they were still sort of, you know, like, you know, band, you know, yeah. chess, you know, it was the old timey thing. There wasn't, an entire Marvel universe and, 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 you know, a, a proud sort of like, 
you know, <laughs> mass marketed Star Trek uh, uh, world yet. Yeah. All these yeah. things were still sort of like, what are those guys doing? Yeah, right, yeah. right. Uh, yeah, I hadn't like kind of like, uh, yeah, fused with her. Well, no, yeah. nerd dominated culture happened. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it is. And it was probably by the time it was probably existing when you were in high school. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I think I was just more of like a, a movie nerd, though. You know, right, I, would, right. I would just like, I was just like kind of blowing through. I was just like, all right, gotta watch all the Terry Gilliam movies. Gotta yeah, watch yeah. all the like <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, we I did that with like, uh, you know, my good friends, and we we would really, honestly, just make movies every single day. And then we you know we started a movie club in high school, and yeah, um, there were only three of us, and. Um, yeah, and but but I I don't know I I think my popularity was just like I was just kind of inoffensive and I think I made people laugh so yeah. my superlative was most unique in yeah. um senior year and then I was class president in tenth grade just as an experiment though yeah. because I, I I saw that two popular kids were running yeah. to be class president and I thought well the popular was going to be split and yeah. I think people might like me <laughs> so I'm just going to try it and yeah. see if I can win and then I won but I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> the story was over. Yeah. <laughs> and did you like when you pursued film? Did you study film and then work in film before you? became you um yeah i mean i i i went to binghamton university and it's like a suny in upstate yeah and i did a cinema program there uh i majored in cinema like all four years and mm. you know and that was that was a really cool i i really liked it just you know because like that 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 program was started by a bunch of experimental film kind of legends yeah. and and which ones? Uh, Ken Jacobs. Yeah, and, you I, know, I interviewed his son. You know, oh cool. Yeah, 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 and you know, and, and like you know, you had a lot of the kind of brackage and yeah, Nicholas yeah. Ray and, yeah, yeah. and all these people. And, right. But but it's kind of it, people don't really think of the program like that as much anymore, or maybe like people don't care as much about sure. experimental film yeah. stuff. But it, it really changed everything about the way that I I think about um about the moving image opened and, it up yeah and it was just like oh I need to stop making skit based stuff I need to like really think materially about the work I need to think like 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 why am I making this like mm. like what like why why a movie like right. wh why not any other medium and like why do I like the moving image and right uh it really just like drilled it into me that um like I, I and and yeah and I I I did stick with it, but yeah. it, it was like a lot of internal processing and stuff. Did you work in any heartbreaking, you know, you know, jobs where you know you became sort of like what was your? Did you seek work within the film world? Um, after college, yeah. I mean, the one of the very first jobs I got was like as a PA for this. A reality show called American Gypsy, which yeah. I, I don't even think you can like. I, I don't even never I made it. Know if that out. came out, yeah, yeah, because yeah. It's like sounds really problematic. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but yeah, I, I would have to drive a fifteen pass like passenger van of of this family from New Jersey that that was like the the family that that were featured. Yeah, and they would fuck with me constantly, like um, bullying. They were just like I would be sitting outside for hours, and they would be like, "We'll be right out. We'll yeah, be right out." Yeah. 
but but that was like one of the first moments where I saw that the production had rented a restaurant that was supposed to be their restaurant that they owned, and they 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 rented an auto body shop. They yeah that they it was all was, fabricated. It was all fabricated, and I was just like, oh, they're liars. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and 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 the people that were making the show were just the most awful people, and and I was like, oh, this world is is twisted and yeah. like I um don't think I want to be part of the reality TV world sure. but it's nice to know right. what's happening right and you were already interested in documentary yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah I just and then I started working for a private investigator and then I was like that uh, must have been good that was cool but also really boring right and then what was your job there I just had to edit all the footage that the actual PIs. Oh, but that kind of, that had to inform something. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I, oh I, that radicalized me yeah. in, a, in a way for sure. Yeah. But then I was a school portrait photographer. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I, w- I would I would I would drive around to different middle schools around yeah. Massachusetts and and at, you know seven in the morning and and I had to be that the, the kind of rodeo clown telling all the kids yeah. to smile and stuff with the backdrop. Yeah, with a backdrop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and oh, That's great. Uh, yeah, it, it felt so strange. Um, um, well, all that stuff seems like, you know, it all makes sense, right? <laughs> when you look at it. Yeah. The intention, though, for you is is to be funny, mostly, in the end, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think that's the... I, yeah, I, I, I think... To balance I, your, your, <laughs> your plight... Yeah, whatever yeah. stupid plight, plight is. there is. Yeah, it's, it's just like it, just because it, it it it's it's a way of connecting with people too. Like I I I think I I do have a lot of social anxiety, and and, and the camera is like very much this this tool yeah. that gives like relationship purpose in 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 a certain way sometimes. Yeah. And um, but yeah, like. I, uh, yeah, I'm processing stuff. I don't know. Funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, 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 I mean, the joke is the, uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, no, it's no I do. It's just like, that's the Trojan horse. That's the best. That's like, once you have them laughing, then yeah. like, uh, there's just, that's just the best feeling in the world. Right. And also, but the poetry, the nature of the poetry, your poetic sense is comedic. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I I try to just because you know there's like a hidden joke inside of everything, right. and 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 I've just been so bored in so many different environments <laughs> in my life where I'm just like looking around a room trying to figure out well, that's what, yeah. how to make jokes. Like, like, well, that's funny where you shoot. I don't know who shot you doing at those press jo- or those uh, celebrity events. Oh yeah, yeah. Or you just or the red carpet Emmys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where it's just like okay, like I what. <laughs> What is interesting well, like, just in like this the, environment? Right. But there's also just like very, the camera just moves past Ben Stiller or somebody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in a corner wandering aimlessly. Yeah, like, but okay. So to close up though, how in that final episode about the cryogenics. Oh yeah. Which I found very interesting because, you know, and I think it was your intention to really posit the idea. And, and, and I don't know why I didn't think of it before that it's, it's, you know, no matter how elaborate the freezers are, you know, that it, it really it becomes apparent that it's a grift of some sort. Yeah. I yeah. mean, they... What's the name of the company? Al- Alcor. Yeah. They are 
I just find them so fascinating. You know, it's like I, I had heard of yeah. cryogenic stuff before, but I, I'd never been, I never talked to anyone that signed up. So when I encountered those people in Arizona, like, I just, I just found it so fascinating. And I, 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 I wanted the viewer to be able to also relate with them and, and not just like kind of no, I didn't think that criticize them. No, I too. didn't feel. I, I felt like the people that were doing it and the reasons why. You know, it, it is sort of you know this idea of a future where reanimation is possible. Yeah. But, but like, and also you know people's beliefs are people's beliefs, and it, it all kind of combines. But at, when it turns. Where, you know, where the presentation turns to like, you know, well, you sign your, you get a life insurance policy and you can get up yeah. to three. Yeah. That you realize yeah. like this place could crap out. Like, you know, if it goes right. bankrupt, yeah. those tanks are just sort of like, what are we going to do with this shit? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You, 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 they, they could, they could sell you off, you or, know, or, like, or just throw you in the garbage. Yeah. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just, just, just blend you. It, but, it doesn't really. Yeah. Yeah, there's no guarantees, especially when you're thinking of a timeline. That, and you're dead that fast. Yeah, and you're dead. But at the same time, I, what I f- find so relatable, I don't know. I, I'm personally not a very religious person. Yeah, and this is the most practical version of an afterlife I right. could right. I, 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 you could think of sure. to me. If it's like if you if you do want to live longer than nature intended. <laughs> yeah. You know, then this... Yeah. Roll the dice. Yeah. E- even even if it's... I mean, like, even if it's not practical, I mean, I, I remember reading somewhere that it's like, the, the, the science of this is, is like... It's so far fetched that, yeah. that it would be like it would be like turning a ha- turning a hamburger back into a cow. Yeah, yeah. You know, it it, it just <laughs> yeah. it it's not it's really not there yet. Sure, you but know? people want to believe. Yeah, but yeah, and so it's like it's it's just the most interesting kind of thought experiment in the world to me. Just yeah. like you know, do are you okay with death? Are you like what, yeah? What is your belief system like? They they all have different religions there too, you know. Yeah, and. But but the, but they all agreed that, but 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 then you're also when you are reanimated, you are basically in this room with the same people, you know, right. like look so, around, yeah. So the, this this is the party, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the 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 the, uh, the people that have to repopulate the world or whatever, or no, it wouldn't be that. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but it's like you have these. It's like we barely like I I, I don't know why people of the future would want to reanimate this many people it's yeah. like like we barely know what to do with old people now right like no yeah the whole like, thing becomes <laughs> like, dubious we don't want the old people yeah yeah like so it's like maybe if there was someone from no them, one's gonna come upon those tanks and go thank god yeah like <laughs> yeah like old we, people from the past i know it's, they're just their heads yeah it's just their heads or or, or, or the whole body gen- whatever genitalialis um well that how like but that or, guy like when when he started telling you that story you must have been like oh my god yeah because like that came out of nowhere yeah that guy well, who who is the caretaker at the at the cryogenic lab. Yeah, he watches the tanks. Right, and you know he's this you know kind of like physically hobbled guy. Yeah, he's he's yeah he's got a bit of a scoliotic problem. Yeah, yeah. And but but then like you know out of nowhere, like you know, I don't even want to spoil it for people. He tells you this story that you, you know it, I can't even imagine what you were thinking when that started to come out. 
it was a the extended in discuss like kind of talk that we had it was yeah. a lot more graphic and oh I, my god and i had to it, it was a difficult very difficult thing to cut um like I mean, it, w- it wasn't difficult to cut it out. It was difficult to to, to watch yeah. all of it. Um, yeah, it, it was one of the wildest kind of American stories I've ever heard. And I, but also there 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 is a, there is this weird symmetry within the sure. show where within that sh- within that episode. Yeah, and yeah. like you you have these people that. You know, he like his his family. They're they're like genealogists, and and or like he's a genealogist, and and you know he just he's constantly thinking about like how his family yeah. worked so hard to get him there, but he and just doesn't want to have one. But I also like relate us, like you know, like make maybe some people don't want to have kids, and obviously this is like a logical extreme, <laughs> yeah. you know. But but, but to, there's did you get a sense of you know in the stuff that you cut out why he did that? It wasn't as much a why. It was more he just he went into excruciating detail as to how he did it. Oh my god! Yeah. All um, right. Well, that's it, and, and that, that that stuff I died. I don't think I need to to kind of unleash. Um, and now what? World. Well, well, that's respectful. I mean, yeah, I, I, I went right. You know, as with most comedy, as with yeah. anything, you want to go right to the edge. Well, yeah. It, well, the <laughs> edge was definitely that. It was a sharp edge, I yeah. imagine, unless he used a spoon. Uh, <laughs> my God, I didn't know. Oh God. <laughs> he did not but, mention this one. <laughs> but if people can look forward to that as the the big closer. <laughs> yeah, but but you know, in in an earlier episode, you know, in the first season, I have a guy who's trying to regrow his foreskin to yeah. uh, to maximize his yes, pleasure. Yeah, you know, yeah. and, and and I kind of oh, I remember that guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I and and I just I. They feel like kind of bookends. Uh, yeah, like bookends and like opposite superheroes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and now the you've got to get releases from everybody, right? Anyone that talks. Yeah, oh, just we, talks. I mean, we get a releases from a lot of people on the street, but it, uh, if if I'm talking to them directly, it's like ninety nine percent of the time there's a release, right? Um, but yeah, also, sometimes if you're talking to someone and they acknowledge the camera yeah, and you they know you're filming and you yeah. tell them what it's for yeah. and that's all on camera. That's enough? That's, our lawyers are usually okay with that sometimes. Have you had any problems? No, not no, really. That's good. No. Uh, yeah, because I was just wondering what the uh, logistics of... Of that are and I and I think the cachet of HBO means something, which is good. Yeah, and, and I I think that I I I I'm, I try to be very delicate about uh, again like what I'm like saying about what you're seeing on like for, with footage sure. of people on right. the street. You know, I'm 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 not just gonna show a messy guy and just say he's a slob. You know, that that's like not right. Right. It, there there there's no like you're not liable. Deeper truth. Right. There, right. Or, or whatever. Well, great work. Uh, I think you uh, uh, have yeah, a personal ditto. approach, real art in a way. Um, yeah, I hope I can keep it up. I'm going to try to make something that's kind of similar, but just a slight shift. What, another season or a movie? Uh, just another project. Oh, okay. Yeah. What's the shift? Um, it might be a slight genre shift. 
Oh, all right. But, um, you know, in the way that how to with tutorials. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. Still going to be documentary. Yeah, I think so. I just, I don't really like working with actors. So, um, <laughs> I, I, okay. I, I think non nonfiction might, might, might be my, continue to be my calling. Yeah. What is it? An ego issue or a, a too, <laughs> much actors? too much talking? Is it? <laughs> I, I just, I, I, I'm, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I like, I, I like to film people that aren't performing as much, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, it just, it just feels a lot kind of more interesting. Yeah. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, you too, man. I like talking to that John Wilson because it kind of got me going. And that, you know, between me and you, when I brought up Brisson, I was thinking of Henry Cartier Brisson, Henri Cartier Brisson, the, the, the still photographer. But he was thinking about Robert Brisson, the filmmaker. But I didn't correct myself because it, it, it got him going and I was happy. Uh, you know, I like both those guys, but it wasn't the persona I was thinking of. I don't even need to tell you that, but I did. Uh, hang out for a minute. Hey, folks, this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. You know all those times you've heard guests sneeze on the show. Well, actually, you don't hear any of that because we cut the sneezes out when we're editing. But take my word for it, people definitely sneeze in here, and when they do, I've got a box of Kleenex on the table right in front of them so they can use one and get right back to business. And here's what Kleenex means to me, a tissue that will hold up. We've all used those other tissues that you blow holes right through. When I see Kleenex, I know that tissue is up for the job. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. So look, um, you know my buddy Cliff Nesteroff. Uh, I've talked to him many times. He's got a new book coming out, and it's amazing. It's called Outrageous, A History of Showbiz and the Culture Wars, and you can pre-order it now. I mean, it's great. It really covers all of the controversy that has surrounded show business in terms of people talking or saying things, uh, pushback against that, but the evolution of it from different groups, different points of view, different politics, all the way up through the present and the fucking madness we live in now and where that's really coming from and how it evolved. And this goes back to the 1800s, early 1900s, where actual mobs of Irish uh, immigrants you know, stormed vaudeville playhouses in protest for the way they were being stereotyped on stage. Yeah. Uh, and then all the way full circle to uh, people claiming that uh, they should be able to stereotype, which was the argument at that time, too. It's it's a fascinating book. And it really it really charts a thing that I didn't um, have the thorough connect the dots to. And that's really this sort of through line from the John Birch Society of the I believe the 50s uh, all the way through to you know the kind of right wing propaganda machine that's co-opted a lot of comedy and comics that we hear today in intentionally provoking culture wars. It's a great book. Two years ago this week, back when Cliff was researching the book, we had him talk about what it really means 
to be canceled in comedy. The reality is, though, throughout history, it's not even a left-right thing. Right. You know, sometimes a right-wing force might be in favor of censorship. They'll always deny it, but they'll be in favor of censorship. Vice versa. Maybe left-wing's in favor of censorship. Always deny it. People kind of want to suppress whatever they disagree with. It's not. It doesn't have to be a political thing. This tug-of-war, my point is, it's not yes. even a political point, yeah. is that this tug-of-war has been going on for the duration of comedy, there's always a battle between free speech and censorship. There's always a struggle between oppressed groups and the oppressor. And they're always jockeying for power. And it's cyclical. And it goes back and forth all the time. Red Skelton in 1948 complained, you can't joke about anything anymore without people getting upset. Danny Thomas complained in 1958, you can't joke anymore without people getting upset. 1968, again and again and again and again. And it keeps happening and it's not going to conclude, but this sort of intensified culture, this propaganda chamber that we're trapped in with social media, with cable news, that is more heightened than ever before. But when you instill fear in people, you can get them to believe any old bullshit. It's how we get into wars. And so this is sort of like a war, but it's a cultural war as opposed to let's invade Iraq war, but it's still a disinformation campaign. It's still something of a conspiracy theory. The idea that you can't say anything anymore. Ooh, they're coming for you. Ooh, they're going to cancel you. No, they're not. The only place in comedy where I can see firm censorship consistently is on network television. ABC, CBS, NBC, nobody complains about it. You get booked on the, the Tonight Show and Michael Cox says, you can't say cunt, you can't say cocksucker. Every comedian goes, okay, I'll take him out because you want to do the Tonight Show. Nobody goes, ah, you're canceling me, PC police. You know, yeah. When there is censorship in front of their noses, they seem oblivious to it. But that's still, that's corporate censorship. And, and like, you know, that, that the pushback on that is what? You know, yeah, well, there's no pushback on it. I mean, it's a combination of corporate censorship and the FCC, which is government sure, right. censorship. Okay. So okay. those are your forces of censorship are the government and corporations, not individuals or college students or minorities. That's from episode 1278, Cancelled Comedy, and you can listen to that now on whatever app you're using for podcasts. And if you want all WTF episodes ad-free and bonus episodes twice a week, go to the link in the episode description to sign up for the full Marin, or go to WTFpod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. All right, now I'm and play some guitar i know it's similar to the guitar i play all the time but you know i enjoy it
monkey in the fonda. Cat angels everywhere. <laughs>